open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Many Central Coast holiday makers look forward each year to the Gosford Race Club's post-Christmas race meeting. Wednesday, December the 29th is the date to keep in mind for the running of the Group 3 Bell of the Turf for fillies and mares over 1,600 metres with a purse of $200,000. Co-feature race on the day will be the listed Gosford Guineas of 150,000 for the three-year-olds over 1,200 metres. The Gosford precinct has been earmarked for a major development in the near future with an $8 million New South Wales government funding package to construct an additional 200 on-track stables. Currently, there are around 80 horses in regular training at Gosford. That number is expected to rise sharply when the new accommodation becomes available. But for now, there's a great race meeting to focus on. Wednesday, December the 29th, the Bell of the Turf and the Gosford Guineas. Racegoers love the amphitheatre effect of the Gosford track. There's no friendlier place to go racing during the Christmas holiday. Four decades have passed since Pam O'Neill became the first female jockey in Australia to ride against the men. It was the culmination of years of intense lobbying by Pam and a handful of loyal supporters. She wasn't permitted to ride on metropolitan tracks at first, so she went to a Gull Coast meeting and politely racked up a winning treble. She did the same thing the following Saturday. There was no such thing as a lady jockey's room in those days. She was allocated a caravan, which was very quickly tagged Pam's penthouse. I had a quick glance at some results from four random race meetings to see how many girls spent all or part of the day in the now well-appointed lady jockey's rooms all over Australia. Warwick Farm, last Wednesday, July 17th, 10 girls competed on the day. Rose Hill, July 13, seven lady riders. Grafton, uh, Sunday the 14th of July, eight girls. Cranbourne in Victoria, Wednesday the 17th of July, eight girls on the day. Sunshine Coast, Wednesday the 17th of July, six lady riders on the day. Pam O'Neill, you've got a lot to answer for. (laughs) Thanks, John. I I keep saying that my old saying about these girls, I said, you know what, girls, you should donate a dollar to every ride that you get because to keep me in the lifestyle I'm accustomed to, but nothing's come across, John. <laughs> no, not one dollar. <laughs> not one dollar. <laughs> that's that's the world we live in. Yes. Now, Pam, before we find out how you did it, let's find out what you're up to today at 74 years of age. I can't believe it. You're Secretary Treasurer of the Queensland Jockeys Association and a director yes. of the Australian Jockeys Association. Keep you pretty busy? 
it does keep me busy. You don't realise how much work's involved with them all. Uh, it just gets more and more every day. But uh, I enjoy it, John. It, uh, as, as I, you know, I, I love the racing industry and uh, I'm real passionate about it. So the more I can help the jockeys, the more we can make best for them, we'll, I'll be a better place. I can't begin to imagine the joy you must get watching the girls of today making such a huge impact all over Australia. Yes, I, uh, you know, I really, I really don't think about what I did. As I said at the time, I was there and there was something that I really was very passionate about. I wanted to ride against the men and, uh, and I'm just pleased that it came when it did. Mm. You shed a few tears the day Michelle Payne won the Melbourne Cup on Prince of Penzance. Yeah, John, I did. I, I just felt as though after all these years, I didn't think that I'd see a girl ride a Melbourne Cup winner in my lifetime, no. and it happened. And then I thought, well, that's the pinnacle. We've, you know, the girls have finally done it. So uh, because you find that once the girls come out of their apprenticeship, they still find it pretty hard to get rides in town. And there's a lot, a lot of ones exceptional that do get it, like uh, Tegan Harrison up here, mm. and uh, Linda Meach, which is my pin-up girl uh, down in Sydney. She, mm. In Melbourne, Melbourne she, yeah, yeah, she rides very well. She was up here with um, Peter Moody when he was up here, mm -hmm. Linda. Oh, she's and, very good, very good. Uh, oh, she's brilliant. I think you know and. And, of course, there was Claire Lindoff and there's a few that I've missed, but, uh, you know, it's uh, they still find it a bit hard to get rides in town. Mm. And they've been winning a Group 1 here and there too, Pam. Uh, Jamie Carr won the Australian Cup this year. Uh, Rachel King won the Group 1 Champion Stakes at Randwick last spring. Um, they're popping up all over the place. They sure are. Well, it's, it's gone ahead now, really, John, you know, which is which is great. You won't mind my releasing the news, I'm sure, that you are a great-grandmother. Your son Gavin's daughter, Celine, made this possible about seven months ago. Yes, she did, and um, I, uh, I'm very proud of the great-granddaughter, I can tell you. They call me Great Nanny Pam. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> great Nanny Pam. That's a noble title. <laughs> Another granddaughter, Taylor, is right into racing. Doesn't she work for Toby Edmonds on the Gold Coast? Yeah, she does. Um, she she just loves the racing too. I think I don't know who she caught it from, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she's uh, she just loves it, and she's with Toby, and um, and she just loves the horses too, John. She's very she's very good at it, even if a grandmother says that. <laughs> yeah, you grew up at Ascot a Brisbane suburb, where there were racing stables on all sides. Your dad, I think Winton was your late dad's name, wasn't it? Yes, that was right. Yep, he was a hobby trainer who died much trainer. too soon at only 53. And one of your greatest regrets is the fact that dad never saw the fruits of your labour. Yes, he was a great backer of mine, you know, like I, uh, as, as I said, I grew up in Ascot. There was 32 stables in that area at the time. Mm. Now it's Yuppie City, I call it. Um, <laughs> all the stables are gone and there's nothing there, you know, not stables. And um, I, um, 
he 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 was a hobby trainer, and he used to always uh, uh, get me a pony to ride at pony clubs and everything. And um, anyhow, he uh, he was a hobby trainer then, and uh, we used to go to the uh, sales. Mm. And I was only about 15, 14, 15, and, mm. and mum used to say to us, because we had two stables in the back of our yard, you know, mm. our, our house, and uh, mum used to say, if you two come home with another horse, you'll be sleeping on the street. <laughs> but we never finished on the street, but we come home with another horse. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. Now, you'd lead them to the track for track work, but then you'd have to hand them over to a male strapper. Females were not even allowed to lead horses on a race course. Is that when you first got the hackles up? Well, yes, I did, because I didn't know that that was about then, you know, because I used to lead Dad's horses up, and and Bill O'Brown was the caretaker of Eagle Farm at the time, and he said, you can't touch these on a racetrack. I said, what are you kidding? Anyhow, I'd hand them over to Dad and, and I was always getting into trouble for patting for patting the horses and that, and uh, mm. that I think it really got my hackles up then. Mm. I thought this has got to change. Females riding track work was unheard of, so this was the first barrier you had to kick down. Now there was a well-known stipendiary steward in Brisbane at the time called Clive Morgan, who played a role in this very important part of your life. How did that play out? Well, see, I used to I used to be a, a top show rider. I used to ride in a lot of shows, and um, and I, I, I could say that I could handle. I was going to handle a racehorse anyhow, and anyhow, uh, mm. and I used to down. Sorry for going on, but down mm. from Ascot there was these big mud flats, mm. and Mel Shoemaker and I used to get down there and ride the racehorses for Dad down on these mud flats. Good heavens. Yeah. And uh, anyhow, I uh, I wanted to ride track work, and uh, my dad had passed away by this time, and my uncle knew Clive Morgan. Anyhow, mm. he said to Clive about what I wanted to do. So Clive said, "Well, you bring her over to the track." Mm. Anyhow, he put me on the bull ring, mm. and I had to ride in front of him. And um, anyhow. Uh, um, Ronnie Conquest tells me the story. He said, oh, I remember that day you did that. He said, because Clive called me and Bronco over, and he said, what do you think of this girl? Mm. And uh, Ronnie said, she can ride. So yeah. he let me ride work. Goodness let me ride work. There yeah. they are. You've been a trailblazer all along. Now, Pam, there was a major development in your life when you were just 18 years of age. You married Matt, who was an entertainer, and in order for him to find more work, you moved to Sydney. And you rode work for a while for a trainer that I remember well, little bloke called Percy Atkins, who trained a few horses at Rose Hill. Yes, that's right. We were renting a house off him. And, mm. and of course, um, those times the girls could ride work down there in Sydney. And uh, he said, why don't you come over and ride a horse for me? And I said, oh, all right. And I did that and I helped him out for a while. Mm. And in the meantime, my dad got sick. So this was before, Johnny, before dad passed away that I could I could ride work up here at Eagle Farm. They didn't have them up here. In no. Sydney, they'd had them, yeah. you know. Mm. And um, anyhow, uh, when my dad got sick, I'd come back up here mm. uh, to Brisbane and um, – 
I, you know, he passed away. You had one other part-time job while you were in Sydney to help supplement Matt's income. You were a cigarette girl at the famed Checkers Nightclub in Sydney, a very famous <laughs> night spot in the 1960s, and you tell me your wages were calculated on the tips you got. That's right. We didn't get wages. We we were paid by the tips, and we made quite a good uh, made quite a good uh, income from that, you know. Mm. But I'd I'd come out of uh, I think at about twelve o'clock. I think it used to close, and uh, I'd go straight across to the Mandarin Club, which was at <laughs> poker machines, and get uh, home about three o'clock. <laughs> uh, what a life you've led, Pam O'Neill. <laughs> I tell you, John, I, there's a few stories I could tell. <laughs> you had two very loyal deputies who supported you all the way when you were trying to get that jockey's licence. One of them was the famed race caller and journalist, the late Keith Nowd, who died in 2001, and Al Grasby, who was the Minister for Immigration in the Whitlam government, and a great human rights reformer. He got right behind your cause. Yes, uh, he, he did. Uh, he was um, Keith. Now was wonderful. He was the one that was helping me write the write the letters to uh, to all the uh, clubs. To uh, it was a Queensland Turf Club, mm. and uh, anyhow, there was a girlfriend of uh, mine that was a teacher. And she was doing uh, books for um, international students, what jobs were available for them to take on. And she came out to our stable and I explained to her about what a strapper has to do, you know, mm. or a stable hand. Anyhow, she said to me, well, we've got to, we've got to do something about this. And she got on to Al Grasby. And Al Grasby was the one that helped change change the rule. Well, he was the instigator behind it because it was discrimination against women was coming in. Yeah. And um, and there was also, as I said, there was a female who wanted to be a, a pilot for Qantas mm. and she wanted to fly. Anyhow, it was the real push from the pair of us. And um, uh, at the same time, she got her licence to fly the planes and no. I got my licence to ride against the men. But Colin paid a good part in it too, a big part. Your late husband, to. Colin O'Neill. Yep. Yes, yes. Mm. Now, we've jumped so, ahead a bit here, Pam, because yes. you only got half a victory at first with the QTC. They finally agreed to races being staged for female jockeys only. They thought that had shut you up. They had something <laughs> coming, didn't they? They sure did. It just fueled the fire. But at that time, Johnny, um, I think the racing was starting to drop off too a little bit. You know, the crowds were starting to drop off. Mm. And I think they thought it would be a gimmick. And I went all around Australia riding in just these ladies' races and we got paid to ride in them. Oh, I know you did. You know? Yeah. And uh, we flew all over everywhere, little light planes. And I was mainly, I was more the. Um, manager of them, they'd yeah. say, we're going to have a race meeting, Pam, can you line some girls up? And, yeah. and all the ones that I knew that could ride work, we'd line them up and yeah. they, they'd have this one race. I remember being guest caller one day at a Lismore Cup, would have been about 75 or 76. They had a ladies' race on the program and I got yes. the job of coming down to the mounting enclosure 
and introducing all the girls to the big crowd. Uh, you all came out in your colours and your jotties. Uh, you were there. I can still see you. Uh, yes. I'm just trying to think who some of the other women were riding. Was Betty Leroy was one of them? Yeah, Betty Leroy was there, and I think Glenwood Markwell was in it, I think. Yep. I could be wrong. Could have been. Wendy Smith was another. Yeah, Wendy Smith. Yeah. And um, we would have had Judy Curran from up here, I imagine. I think we had there. Uh, mm. I, I just forget a lot of them. I, I have to look up my scrapbooks, John, to remember a lot of them. Mm. You know, one of your, your ladies' races was run at Rockhampton and a very special person presented you with the trophy that day. You've never forgotten it. The famed Italian movie actress, Gina Lolla Brigida, who... Yes, I got it. Pam, I, I checked it out. She's still alive. Is she truly? She is 92 years old. Uh, she... she had, had a wonderful career, and you know, when her movie career dried up, she carried on doing other things. She became a very capable sculptor. She became a photojournalist. She's just been a worker all of her life. Gina Lollabridge, you've got a lovely photo of her. Yes, I have, and um, she 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 was lovely. But I think she came up. I can't think what she came out for. Um, I can. She I, was with the representing Apex Clubs from all over the world, raising money for multiple sclerosis. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah, I got a shock when she when she presented me with the trophy. Mm, I would <laughs> <No>. have too. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh. it, it, it was lovely. It was lovely. Remarkable lady, Gina Lola yes. Brigida. Gina Lola Brigida. You know, there was one major breakthrough in Victoria when approval was given for the first unisex race. It was held at Mooney Valley. You rode a horse for the late Jeff Murphy and you absolutely bolted in. The horse's name was Consular. Yes, yes, he, he was. And uh, when I went out and got on him in the enclosure, uh, Jeff said to me, he said, you know, Pam, he said, when you get to the school, he said, you let him go. Mm. And I go, I thought, now where's this darn school? <laughs> so anyhow, I, <laughs> I had pegged at the time I got to the barriers and when I got around to the barriers, they said, dismount, and they put a, um, a cover over his eyes and I thought, God, what am I on here? Mm. Anyhow, he was a beautiful horse to ride and he won by 10 ranks. Yeah, yeah. But the best thing, I beat Roy Higgins. <laughs> he ran second, we think. We th haven't checked the record, but we think no. Roy ran second. And uh, I had to laugh coming back to the enclosure. He was married to Eugene, and she said, Pam, I'm pleased you beat him. He's a male chauvinist, you know. Mm. So at the presentation, <laughs> they uh, Roy was nowhere to be seen. And they said, where's Roy Higgins? And I said, well, most likely out in the kitchen washing the dishes for us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we were good mates. We were good mates. Uh, he was one of the great gentlemen of Australian racing and Roy Higgins left a, a wonderful legacy for all jockeys around Australia, particularly in Victoria. I, I was, uh, you know, I've just been ringing him before he died, about a week before he died. Mm. He was. He told me he was in hospital, and but he used to call me Lady Pamela. Did he? <laughs> yeah, Lady Pamela. Wonderful fellow, yeah. the professor. Great bloke. Great bloke. You maintained your regular contact with the QTC, and it dragged on and on and on. And then one day, 
all of your dreams came true. How did you find out? Phone call? Letter? Yes, well, at, at this time, uh, we were pushing to, to get the licence. And in the I'd gone over to uh, New Zealand to ride, and Linda Jones was over there, and uh, they, they got it over there before we got it. Anyhow, uh, Alan Jones was wanting to bring a horse over here for her to ride. Mm. And um, anyhow, she was pushing to bring hers over. And uh, anyhow, they, I think I think the QDC knew, well, the whole Australian knew that it was. I think it was going to be time for a change. Yeah. Anyhow, they said to me, uh, they rang me up, and Judge Williams, it was. Mm. And he said, Pam, how quick can you how quick can you get your license? So I said, Well, how many barrier trials? And I had to do ten barrier trials, although mm. I'd ridden winners yeah. all over Australia. Yeah. And uh, I still had to ride in 10 barrier trials to do my licence. You'd I knock got that over pretty quick. Yeah, one day. <laughs> one day. Yeah. Good. So me. in the meantime, Linda come over. They let mm. Linda come over. Yeah. And because um, none of us were licensed and they let her ride and um, and then uh, about a week later after she'd ridden here, they gave me my licence. Yeah. Now, Pam, that hurt you a little bit, didn't it? Uh, I mean, you and Linda have become wonderful friends subsequently and you still share a great friendship with her. She came originally to Sydney, first uh, time in Australia, to ride North Fleet in the Mannion Cup at Rose Hill. That was 1979. She ran third. Yes. And then she turned up in Brisbane and she won, was it the Labor Day Cup? Yeah, yes, I think it was the Labor Day Cup on Pay the Purple. Pay the Purple, yep. And uh, I I lent her my saddle. Mm. And uh, I said, typical of a New Zealander, she never slung either. (laughs) 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 But as as the years went on, John, you know, I think back and I thought, it's a shame they didn't let an Australian be the first, but yeah. that's the way it is. You know, that, that's only sort of being a bit sour grapes now as yeah. I got older. They didn't give you a, a weight allowance either. You had to ride on level terms with the blokes from day one. Yes, I think the girls in New Zealand got four kilos, but they said no, that I couldn't have one. Mm. See, John, I was 34, but that doesn't make any difference, you know. no. no. And uh, they said, no, you couldn't have uh, have an allowance. Yeah. And I didn't care at the time because I wanted to ride. I just wanted to ride. Yeah. You know, Jenny Duggan's riding a lot of winners in Sydney at the moment, Pam. Jenny doesn't mind my telling you. She's 41. She's still claiming two kilos in town. Oh, good honour. Yeah. Why not? That's good. <laughs> That's good. So didn't you make a statement on your first day riding against the men, a treble? A treble, yes. And and they weren't horses that were picked for that day. Like they were just horses that come that we had ready and, and mm. I tra- I rode another one for another trainer that day. Mm. And um, anyhow, if you knew Colin and my saga, because he was, he was a brilliant jockey and he expected me to be as good as him, which mm. I didn't think I ever was. Yeah. And uh, he said to me after I'd had a couple of rides, he said, Jesus, he said, you want to lift your game? He said, look at all these people here. And I said, well, <laughs> I can't go without the horse. No, no. And uh, 
anyhow, I, I then I rode three winners, bang, 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 and I thought, how long has this been going on? Yeah. Now, Pam, how did the male jockeys react on that very first day and how did the public react? You said there was a big crowd there. Oh, there was an enormous crowd there, you know, and um, I, I never got uh, – the jockeys were great to ride with. Like once you got out there – you both are you're all out there to do your job, you know. And they knew if they dished anything up to me, I'd give it back. Yeah. But uh, and the crowd was brilliant because I think it was it was a something that's happening in Australia, and people just wanted to see or see it happen, you know. Yeah. And they were all cheering and everything, and the mm. photographers and everything were. Uh, were great. No, mm. it was a wonderful day, John. And the first ones to greet me when I pulled up was the male jockeys, you know. Yeah, of course. That's great. As you said, you were 34 when you gained your licence uh, to ride against the men and you competed for another 18 years, finishing up at age 52. You rode 400 winners, almost 100 in town, and even though you started off so well, the bias existed for a long time, didn't it? Rides were hard to come by. Yes, they were, John. Uh, I think too, be, being the first, and and even even you know, people think, oh, well, you've got a woman on a horse now, and I sort of really had to keep proving myself, you know, like. I, I went on a horse up here. He won by four lengths. And one of the blokes said to to Colin, he said, "Well, if there's a male on that, that would have won by six. And I said, "Oh, leave me alone!" <laughs> really, unbelievable. <laughs> but you know, the, the, you just ignore those sort of people. You just go, get on with it, you know. And where is Linda Jones currently? She lived in Queensland for quite a while. Yeah, she. Um, she lives up at the Sunshine Coast. Oh, we, still we here. We often yep. talk to each other. Yeah, she's still up there. Mm. Yeah, she's a terrific person, Linda. We, we get on well. 1983 was a memorable year for you on two counts. Because of the exposure your story had brought in Australia, you were invited to take up a one-month contract in Japan, a massive compliment to the Queensland girl who had pioneered the cause of lady riders in her own country, now being invited to ride on the other side of the world. And you were stunned with a few things that happened up there. Firstly, you had to saddle the horse yourself. Well, there was a rule up there. I think they used to have 11 races a day, and jockeys could only ride in six, I think. Mm. But they had to saddle their own horse. And um, anyhow, as I was at... Uh, the age, I, they said to me, you've got to take a chaperone over with you. I thought, God, at my age. <laughs> Anyhow, I took the steward from here, Tommy Murphy. Yeah. And because uh, Tommy was a good old trainer in his day too and hmm. and he used to saddle my horses for me. So I didn't have to saddle them. He was my saddler. So hmm. I got the best of both worlds. Hmm. But what I did notice that a lot of their gear was very um, very Americanized, and it was old gear. Mm. And uh, I used to have uh, an ex jockey, Freddie Marsland, used to make all my riding gear, and I always made sure that my riding gear was spot on mm. because it's your life. Mm. You're you're depending on that gear, so you've got to make sure you've got good gear. Yeah. Anyhow, I had all um, 
double-sided elastic girths and and uh, he, uh, anyhow, uh, the time I left, I think Freddie and I sent over about, I'd say, 6,000 sets of girths and surf singles and, mm. and rubbers on the reins. A little so business was, came out of nowhere. Yeah, a little business come out of nowhere. And uh, mm. and what I noticed out there, Johnny, that you don't – they never had any um, any clerk of the courses. Mm. You used to have to um, – Get go out on the track and then trot around to the front of the barriers and work your way back, mm. and then your strapper would be taken over behind the barriers, mm. and they'd grab you and load you into the barriers, mm. and um, and you didn't have time once you're in the barriers, you didn't have time to get your goggles down. You were gone, <laughs> you know. They let you go, you know. You had but a it, shock of blonde hair then. In fact, you still do. Yes. And this was a source of fascination to the Japanese. They couldn't get enough of you. Well, it, it was different. I remember going up in the plane from Tokyo to Aikado and all I saw was all these blackheads and I was the only blonde in the plane. Let <laughs> 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 me get you to stand by for a moment there, mate, while we clear a commitment on our podcast with Pam O'Neill back after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. During the trip to Japan in 1983, you didn't feel well for several weeks. You were always tired and losing weight. And as soon as you got back to Brisbane, you went to see your doctor. And he hit you between the eyes with a sledgehammer. Yeah, Johnny, he, he did. I, um, I had gone for a checkup before I left, and one doctor told me that I was wasting too hard and working too hard and, and I just took it like that, you know. And uh, anyhow, when I came back, my mum got hold of me and she said, I think you better come down for a check-up with my doctor. Mm. Anyhow, that's when they found that I had cancer. Mm. So um, that was a bit of a shock because that's what my father died of. And uh, anyhow, he sent me up to a specialist up on the terrace mm. And uh, they operated on me. I was in the Wesley Hospital, I think, for about three weeks, four weeks. Mm. Well, so what did they tell you, though? To the, weight. The, the, the original prognosis wasn't good, was it? No, they said to me, if I hadn't moved when I did, they said you only had 12 months to live. Goodness and uh, that was a bit of a shock. But, uh, it, it, you know, it's, I'm one of those sort of people, I don't let things worry me like that i just get on with it because i know you either got to beat it you mm. can fall in a heap but if you don't you got to beat it, you mm. know well that's 36 years ago so i'd say you've beaten it 
I'm still here, John. That's the main thing. <laughs> you know, there have been a few special horses in your life, none more so than old Super Snacks. He came into your life under unusual circumstances. You'd just been taken off a nice horse and a group of friends decided to buy one that you would never be taken off and you found him at an English Easter sale. Yes, we did. Um, I, I was riding the horse Breakfast Creek. He won three out of four mm. and uh, he had bad feet and the day that I got beat on him, he ran second and uh, they said, oh, we want to put a mail on him. So... Colin part owned him too, and uh, anyhow, a girlfriend, the same girlfriend that got on to Al Grasby for me, mm. was the instigator of we form a syndicate and and buy a horse in Sydney. Mm. So down we went, and uh, we found um, Super Snack down there by lunchtime, a very yeah, top sire at the time, yeah. Loved them, loved the lunchtime. So Breakfast Creek was by lunchtime. And, mm. and then I used to ride a horse called Water Wagon. Yeah. And he was by lunchtime. Mm. And uh, they, they were handy horses and I loved the breed. But they, they had bad feet, John. They were very bad feet problems. Mm. Who, the lunchtimes? Yes, yeah. yeah it was common yeah. with them, eh? Yes. And it's Super Snack should have won a real big race only for his feet. And uh, mm. anyhow, we bought him. And uh, oh, he could buck. What'd you pay for him, Pam? I think about twenty-seven thousand we paid for him then, and that was a bit of money in those days. My word, you know, Mm. we had about fifty people in him. (laughs) There's people everywhere in him. Decent cheer squad. Oh, teachers (laughs) that weren't even been to the races bought a quarter share of somebody's half share, and oh, (laughs) (laughs) but they they were great people, and they never interfered. and he was a horse that paid his way from nearly day one, the day mm. he raced, first day he raced. Well, tell me about his bad habits first. He had a few of those, didn't he? Oh, did he ever? He um, he used to go out. I remember, forget when we got him from the breaker in, as I was going out on the track on him, and uh, he uh, was trotting along, and next minute he dropped the head, and I was only good for about six. <laughs> one of the tra- one of the trainers, I think it was Paul Dawson, yelled out. He said, "You got him." I said, "Peak's tail, I have." Yeah. And he used to drop the head, and then he'd whip back underneath you. Mm. Oh, and oh, he'd get you. He'd get you all the time. Yeah. What you about know? on race day? Oh, he had another trick at that. As he was pulling up, he'd whip around. Oh. So I knew him. So I was ready for him. But through the but- race, he was fine. Through the race, he was fine. He mm. was fine. He was a little bit tardy at the start, even to get him in the barriers. But mm. no, he was fine. Him and I became real good mates, you know. Mm. Mm. And Pam, we're talking about a horse called Super Snacks, which is, is Pam's all time favourite. The win that gave you probably the biggest thrill was the Rockhampton Cup. Yes, it, it, that was that was a big thrill because uh, it. Uh, because what we used to do, we take a lot of horses up to um, to Rockhampton because at that time the winter carnival was here, the Stradbroke and everything gone, and mm. a lot of our horses weren't good enough to compete because we had a lot of top horses come up from down south in those days, you know. Mm. Anyhow, we'd head up to Townsville and uh, we'd won all the major races and up there and the Rocky Cup 
was coming up and uh, and he he could be a front runner because it was 2200 meters then mm. now it's been i think it's cut back to a mile mm. and uh anyhow he jumped out and he was leading and as i got around to about the 1400 there was a jockey come past and said let me lead i said drop off will you because there's a horse come off beside him <laughs> yeah pull. he'd really pulled pull. would, would he? i said oh drop off so, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you gave you gave that jockey a swift repartee yeah i did slightly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you would have done that in the trots john oh of course many times <laughs> yes but, you know uh, he won seven at eagle farm Oh, yes, he was a good – he won when he was 10 yeah. and Lenny Hill rode him. I mm. was out hurt and Lenny Hill rode him when he was 10-year-old. Mm. He won. But he, he, he was a good horse. Seven at Eagle Farm and one at Doombin. Uh, 23 wins in all and you rode him in 18 of those wins. You <laughs> gave him right. a home for life too, didn't you? Oh, yes. I, we, uh, I, uh, he was given to me then and because he'd been so good to me. I um I kept him in the stable and his feet got worse and and I'd turn him out in the paddock because I'd feel sorry for him and he used to come back looking skinny because he used to fret out in the paddock, John. Even when he was in racing, you'd turn him out, he'd never do real good out outside, you know? Mm, yep. And, uh, and, yeah, he had a home for life with us. We but, mentioned uh, – <coughs> sorry, Pam, go on. I'll tell you a little story about him. I'll never forget this day I was at Doombin. Yeah. And he was favourite, and as I said, he was a bit tardy in the barriers. And one of the barrier attendants got up on the barriers, and he said, "Pam, I'll get you away." And I said, "Oh, that's good, thanks." <laughs> Anyhow, the gates open, and I come out ten lengths last. <laughs> and I thought, "Crikey!" What's he Anyhow, done? Yeah. What's he done? Anyhow, I um, as I was pulling up. I thought to myself, I reckon that bloke still had hold of this horse's head. Mm. Anyhow, I said to one of the clerk of the courses, I said, did you see if he had, they had hold of his head? He never saw anything, he said. Ooh. And I was sure that he still had hold of his head. Mm. Anyhow, um, he uh, when I went back in, and because I looked at Colin, he's shaking his head saying, well, what have you done this time? Yeah. And uh, anyhow, I said, I want to protest about the start. And because he only got beat a couple of lengths too, you know. Did you run second? He run second. Run he se run second. Oh. And uh, anyhow, uh, they showed the film and you could see, it, like it wasn't, it was just a split-second decision and, and he didn't let him go, you know. And mm. uh, anyhow, as I'd come back to the enclosure, the crowd went berserk. They said, oh, get back in the kitchen, O'Neill, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and Tommy Dawson was there. I'll never forget him. And anyhow, we went into the steward's room and uh, you could see it was the camera was luckily you could see head on and side on that the horse's head was at the side when he jumped, you know. Mm. So I was declared a non-runner. Mm. And uh, anyhow, uh, a bloke come up to me and said, well, what have you been if you'd run uh, – if you'd won, I said, well, I wouldn't have protested, would I? You know? <laughs> of course. <laughs> but we had there were some big punters in, in him too and, uh, you know, I was mainly thinking there about their money, not getting second prize money, you yeah, know. Yeah, but, you, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget it. You've already mentioned Breakfast Creek. He was trained by your late husband, Colin. 
You rode him as a two-year-old. You won three straight on him, in fact, two at Eagle Farm and one at Doombin. You then ran second in a listed race at Doombin, and that's when the rumbling started. You were feeling a bit uneasy after that. Yes, and as I said, he pulled up lame, lame that day. He, he was a lovely horse. and He was 17 hands when we bought him as a yearling in Sydney, this bloke, and uh, anyhow, um, he would... Uh, I'll never forget, I, we'd be educating him and uh, Strong's had the horse called Christopher and I said to Colin one day in a jump out because we never trialled him. We used to put him in jump outs. Yeah. And uh, I said to Colin, don't worry about Christopher. I said, this is all right. Mm. And my first start in a race from Eagle Farm at the 1,000-metre start, we come from 17 Barrier. Mm. And they'd, I can't think of the horse that they backed. I think it was one of McLaughlin's or something. Mm. Anyhow, backed him into favourite, and this bloke come out and uh, annihilated him, and he won three straight. Mm. And uh, and then the day that I run second, well, the rumbles were on because Colin was going to head him for the Golden Slipper. Mm. And uh, anyhow, they said they wanted to put a mail on, and, uh, well, what could I say? I've so heard, yeah. I've heard that song before. Yes, I, I heard this one. And uh, and anyhow, he uh, – so I said to Colin, I said, put Les Harris on him. I said he'll suit him mm. because I used to ride with Les a lot down the coast. And yeah. anyhow, he come out and won the Coca-Cola. At Doombin, yeah. At Doombin, and then we headed down for the slipper. Yeah, I remember him I running in the slipper. I riding him work. Oh, that was bounding away, Slipper, 1986. He never really got into the race, did he? No, well, he led. Uh, Gavin Duffy rode him. He was up near the lead. Yeah. He should never have started, John. He uh, They paid the late entry fee on him, but his feet were bad and and we had to have special plates on him and they said, well, seeing that you've paid the mm. late entry fee, we'll let you start, you know. Oh, yep. But uh, oh, he he was very good horse, mm. very good horse. He only had a total of sixteen starts. He won a Liverpool City Cup at Warwick Farm one day, and Doug Messingham was his jockey that day. That's right. Uh, I tell you who trained him. Um, it was a bloke at Deegan trained him. Then mm-hmm. I can't think of his name. Um, just slipped my mind. Yeah, because he had to go out and he had to be spelled for twelve months mm. with his feet. And uh, anyhow, we decided we wanted to get out of him and anyhow, we we sold our share in him, well, Colin's share in him. So you've got no doubt we never saw the best of Breakfast Creek. Oh, no, no. He, he was a very good horse, John, very good. And, and the same with Super Snack. He was a very good horse, but he always had feet trouble, mm. bad feet trouble. He used to have uh, get thrush in his feet all the time, mm. and every day I used to wash them out and pack them with sulphur millamite and that. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's just their traits, the lunch times, I think. Mm. You and your first husband Matt had two kids, Cherie and Gavin. Cherie yes. took out a trainer's license when her stepfather Colin took ill, and she still got a couple in work. Yeah, she has, John. She she loves it. That's that's why I said it's a wonder where, where Taylor got all this from. Mm. <laughs> but uh, she she loves it. And and Gavin, he was a jockey for a while, and then he got too big. Yep. And uh, he's mainly works on construction sites and everything now. Mm. You and Gavin rode together in the same race one day, 
at Bow Desert, and that was a special moment for you. Well, it's a special moment for him. Mm. <laughs> he, he was determined to beat his mother, and uh, <laughs> he 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 come out and he come out in the race, and I think he run second. And uh, uh, when we were pulling up, he said, oh, "I beat you." And when he got in the enclosure, Colin gave him a pay because he should have won the race. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're right on cue there because we're going to talk about Colin now. He was an outstanding jockey in his own right. I remember him winning a Doombin 10,000 on a Sydney horse called Tipperary Star. He won a Stradbroke too, didn't he? He did. He won a Stradbroke on Prince Medes. Had a dreadful battle with weight, Pam, uh, which shortened his career as a jockey drastically. Well, John, you imagine those times. I think the top weight was about 53 or 52. Yeah. Like half of these jockeys wouldn't be been able to ride in those days, you know? No, no. And uh, they had to waste very hard, had to waste very hard, and, and that was his downfall because in those days they used to take Lasix and that's virtually what killed him. It, it affected his kidneys and mm. got cancer in the kidneys and it went up to the brain. But, yes. he, you know, he was a brilliant jockey. Mm. You lost him, what, seven years ago? Yes, going on, I think, six years this August, I think it is. Yeah. You know, you'd run into the younger female jockeys on occasions, no doubt, in recent years, are some of them aware that you're the lady who paved the way for them? Do you, do you get that sort of recognition and acknowledgement? No, not not so much from the young ones or, or they don't say anything. Some of them are even scared to talk to you. I, don't, I never thought that I walked around with a cranky face. No, but, you know, they won't say hello or anything. But, you know, that that's that's just, just them. I, you know, as I said, I was there at the time and I got the rule changed. If it wasn't me, it might have been somebody else. And uh, mm. anyhow, I was proud that I was the one there. You know, you've got special favourites, no doubt, among the young ladies who are riding in races today. And I know you've got a, a lot of time for Tegan Harrison. You mentioned a name already. Yes, I, I, I like Tegan very much. I think she's pretty professional. She can get off and the horse and talk to you about how the horse has gone. And I think a lot of – some jockeys lack that. They don't give the owners the respect that they deserve when they own horses, you know. I, I, when I was taking a apprentice school down at Deegan, I used to always say to the, to the apprentices, I said, always thank your owners for your rides. If you think you rode a bad race, Tell them you rode a bad race because that will get you you admitting it. That would they'll say, well, I'll put him on next time, and 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 give them a feedback about their horse. I think it's very important because you're dealing with owners; they're the ones that are buying the horses. Mm. And you, Tegan's very good at that. You tell me there's a, a total of fifty six female riders registered in Queensland. And I was talking to Keith Bullock the other day from Racing New South Wales. He's the man with all the statistics. And he's given me some interesting figures, Pam, for this state. There are 142 registered fully-fledged jockeys in New South Wales. 35 are females. That's 25%. There are 59 apprentices registered here in New South Wales, 59 
31 of them are girls. That's better than 50%. It's great, isn't it? Terrific. And as far as the picnic riders go, there are 42 registered picnic jockeys and exactly half of them are females. Yes. I started a trend, John. Yeah, surprise. Oh, you have you. What? (laughs) (laughs) And just to rub salt into the wounds, they are all accommodated in lavish lady jockey rooms all over Australia compared to Pam's penthouse at the Gold Coast track. Yes, and then not only that, John, the the penthouse track, I also had to get changed with the doctors in the doctors' rooms. Hmm. So that that was that was my my changing rooms. I get in with the doctor and yeah, change, that, and that that was my room. And you were such a shy retiring type at the time. I was, <laughs> <laughs> as anybody knows me. <laughs> You're a unique lady, Pam O'Neill. You're a very special Queenslander. And four decades ago, you wore the establishment down. There's no other way to put it. And you made them recognise the fact that female jockeys could compete successfully at the very highest level. And you've been proven absolutely correct. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. And and I must tell you, I have admired you through my riding career too. I honestly have. You're a great person. Oh, thanks, Pam. I appreciate that. Haven't run into you for quite a long time now. No, when you rang me the other day and you blast from the past, you said, I thought, I know that voice. (laughs) (laughs) It was lovely. No, it was great to catch up. I've been wanting to get you on this podcast for ages. I was only uh, making mention of that to our mutual friend, Rod Gallegos, a month or so back. Rod's now living in Canberra. He's a Bundaberg boy originally. Yes, I remember Rod, and he married Keith Nout's daughter, Kate. He did. Yes, no, we had some funny times, Rod, and Colin and all of us. No, he's a good bloke. What do you prefer to be called? History maker, trailblazer, or pioneer? The pioneer sounds very appropriate, doesn't it? Well, it's alliterative. Pioneer Pam. <laughs> pioneer Pam. I could be pioneer grand nanny Pam. <laughs> Whatever people call you, there is no doubt in my mind Australian racing history is going to treat you very kindly. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thanks for your time on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The catalogue for the 2022 English Classic Yearling Sale is now available. A total of 810 yearlings have been finalised for the sale, 600 in Book 1, 150 in the Highway Session, all to be offered at Riverside between February 6 and 8. 700 of the entries are Bob's eligible and there are Vobus, Westspeed and QTIS yearlings also on offer. There's an enormous range of proven stallions represented, as well as first crop yearlings by exciting newcomers like Justify, The Autumn Sun and Trapeze Artist. 
The classic sale has seen unprecedented growth in recent years with 10 individual Group 1 winners since 2018. Eight of those have been purchased for $100,000 or less, while 14 graduates have won a million dollars or more in the same period. The classic sale gets the English show on the road for 2022 on February 6, 7 and 8 at Riverside. And the catalogue is out now.